Hello, and welcome to Liberate Your Soul, a podcast designed to quiet the inner imposter, awaken you to truths known within all of us, so that you can discover your purpose, heal heart wounds, and find where you fit in to feel whole and allow you to make positive, lasting impact on the world. I'm your host, Kelly Pierce, a certified business and personal coach. I help top performers find their authentic selves in order to come from a confident decision-making place. As a fellow seeker, I have found that liberating the soul enables anyone to transition from anxiety to acceptance. It is my hope to provide you with inspiration and tools to help you feel confident, joyful, and loved. To learn more or to connect with me, go to www.quantumhighways.com. Hello, and welcome back to Liberate Your Soul. Today, we're going to talk about feelings and it's all a state of mind. It's really exciting to feel connected and feel that state of mind where you're just one with the people in your life, your husband or wife or kids or friends or even just the universe. Like when you are walking down the street and you smile at people and they smile back and you hear the birds singing and it's just a beautiful time. We all know the anxiety and stressful feeling when we're not connected when we don't feel like things are in sync and everything seems to be going wrong and we just feel out of touch and it's like too much, right? We're like, oh, it does not compute. You know, we're, we're maybe having a conflict with our boss or um, getting reprimanded or even just a report goes wrong and we feel like, oh, this is, this is sucky. I, I missed this. I just really dropped the ball. Or perhaps um, our children are acting out and we can't do anything about it. And we just really had a terrible conversation with them. It didn't go anything like what we expected in our minds. And we don't know what to do. Or maybe it's our spouse, us, we just didn't didn't connect and we haven't connected in months. So feeling connected is a state of mind. And I've got to tell you, I, you know, I've shared with you, I've been married a couple of times in my life. And uh, you might even say a few, I'm, I'm on my third marriage and just brand new out the gate. And I feel more connected than ever. And it's not without effort. It is a state of mind. It is a practice. And it is something that both of us work at. But it's a beautiful work. It's one that we truly reconnect in a way that is through communication, through checking in, through paying attention to each other. And today I'm going to share with you uh, real tips on how you can feel connected within with yourself and maybe identify some stumbling blocks that might be getting in your way. When I was married the first time, I remember my, my then husband coming to me and saying, 
I feel like you're not really here. I feel like you're not there. And I evaluated his statement and I really took into account, you know, what he was saying. And I considered it and I was looking at things. And at the time I was really, truly observant. I had been feeling that way myself, like observing my life, observing my family of origin, observing my life with him, observing my job. I had made some changes because I wasn't happy at my job and it was still within the same company. I was at the same company for 17 years, by the way. I had made some changes because I was just unhappy and I had been having migraine headaches. And so I, they put me on some antidepressants for these migraine headaches because they said, this is a new drug. It really helps people, blah, blah, blah. So when I went to look at my life, I said, you know, what's different is these drugs. And this was back in 2005, I guess you would say. So 15 years ago, I went to my doctor and I said, doctor, I I don't think I feel right about these drugs. And I, I just really don't want to be on them anymore. They're making me feel disconnected. Even my husband is saying something. So we took me off of those drugs and a whole nother story with that. It was a nightmare. I don't recommend going off of the drugs very fast. It's a very slow process. And I, I got back to normal. I got back to feeling again. I got back to feeling connected and, and much more myself again. I was less observant. Um, but truly when you, we'll get into it later when you are in a state of observance and not just being the feelings, but observing your feelings, it can be empowering. Fast forward to about 10 years later, Brene Brown, she's a famous psychologist and relationship coach. She she talks about shame a lot. She did this TED talk on the power of vulnerability. I will put that down in the show notes. If you haven't seen that TED talk, it will change your life. I watched her TED talk and she was talking about being vulnerable in a relationship. And I really didn't show vulnerability very well in my life. Um, in fact, even now I have to take a step back sometimes and allow myself to have empower my weaknesses and, and allow myself to be authentically vulnerable uh, in my marriage and in my interpersonal relationships so that I can uh, a lot be more approachable, be more re- relatable and um, empower others to see that it's okay not to strive for perfection all the time. What Brene Brown introduced in this TED Talk was that many people seek to feel good all of the time. And they seek to get away from their feelings of depression or sadness or uh, just unhappiness. And when they seek out these numbing agents, whether they're antidepressants or alcohol or whatever you choose that changes your state of mind that is a chemical agent, they not only numb out the anger and anxiety, but they numb out the happiness as well. They make everything less impactful. And I feel like that was what was happening with me back in my early 20s. I was 
really not feeling my feelings. So I was feeling disconnected. And I just want to make sure that for you, and and I'm not by any means recommending just quit everything you're doing, but just if you're numbing by anything, that you're not numbing out your opportunities for happiness. So take a look at that TED Talk and see if it resonates with you. Again, it'll be in the show notes. So take a look at those. When we feel our feelings, they do allow us to feel everything. And feeling everything can sometimes be too much. Our brain craves feeling good. That's why we eat yummy food, why we feel that high when we go for a nice run or we lift weights. I'm telling you, lifting weights is like better than any drink or drug I've ever done, the endorphins I get after that. But we really want that kind of uh, dopamine and serotonin rush and all that kind of stuff. The oxytocin we get from cuddling, you know, sex, eating stuff, medication that truly regulates our mind that we need. All of these things will change your brain state and allow you to normalize the stress that we feel, increase the feel-good chemicals. It's important for us to feel good, but it's okay for us to feel bad. The bad amplifies the good. It provides a guidance system for what to do next. If we always numb out the bad and always avoid the bad, we miss out on the richness of the life experience. We, you know, I've always said that like the rainbow would be boring if it was all one color, right? If everything was perfect and it was like the Truman Show, good morning, good afternoon, and in case I don't see you, good night. It would be like Groundhog's Day. It would always be perfect. Everybody would be, I think it was Mr. Deeds, the movie with Adam Sandler. Um, Spoiler alert, he's like a rich guy. And there's a part of it where he like buys everyone in this small town a, a Corvette, a red Corvette. And, you know, it would just be so boring. The variety of life and the variety of emotions makes up that rainbow and the feelings. Abraham Hicks is a channel. She, it's actually Esther Hicks, and she channels Abraham. You can Google it. You can look at YouTube videos, and they talk about the vortex, like what you bring into your vortex. And it's all about law of attraction and that sort of thing. And you can, the first step is sifting and sorting. And our life experience allows us to sift and sort and bring in all of the experiences, the good and the bad, and we decide what is good and what is bad, what we enjoy, what we do not enjoy. And that's step one. Step two is to decide what we want. And then we just focus on that. And then we go ahead and go about our life. It's not about, um, is actively avoiding the bad stuff. It's just about focusing on the good stuff and then taking inspired action towards that good stuff. And then it's just staying in that good space, feeling good. It's not about doing a bunch of cocaine because tell. let me tell you, that's a downward spiral. <laughs> feeling good, right? It's not about just constantly 
being enamored with your loved one because you would you would miss out on a lot of work and a lot of uh, play with your friends and a lot of um, life experience. Again, not just constantly doing the good stuff, but enjoying life experience and just minimizing the bad. In The Psychology of Winning, a book that I read about, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, they talk about the brain as a computer with the subconscious directing us with data that supports the inline direction with what the conscious mind tells us our desires are. This is kind of like that sifting and sorting. So our mind tells us consciously, I want to be rich or wealthy, or I want to have so much time that I can do whatever I want on the weekends. I want to free up my time. Our subconscious mind will look for ways to earn more income or free up our time to be more efficient with our tasks or to find people who help us to find ways to get our family on board with things or, you know, maximize our education to, um, afford us more pay to attract people into our lives that will pay us what we're worth or to get more clients. So our subconscious mind sifts and sorts the data and it will look at people and say, you know what, this person is just not in my best interest. And so I'm not going to be spending more time with them because they are going to sabotage my efforts or they're going to be a drain on my resources, whether that's time, money, mental effort, whatever that may be. When we, if you listen to my episode on the power of affirmations, I talk about how the mind works and the research that's done in affirmations, but I'm going to talk about it briefly on the conscious mind and subconscious, subconscious mind here as well. Affirmations are powerful in the psychology of winning and the sifting and sorting and making life happen for you. When you say, I never have enough time, or my husband is such a lazy bastard, or I, I'm always broke. As soon as I get money, I get more bills, more money, more problems, whatever. We're reinforcing these negative beliefs out loud and our subconscious mind believes it. It hears our own mind saying those things. And we always sabotage ourselves to not have enough time. Our husband will like feel lazy or we'll see him, view him as lazy. We won't see the things that he's actually doing that um, he's putting forth effort toward, or we will maybe get a speeding ticket that takes our money, um, whatever it might be. We'll reinforce these beliefs. We'll subconsciously, we'll do these little things, our vibratory atmosphere, if you want to get into the metaphysical, we'll put something out into the universe and it will sabotage our life to support those negative affirmations. But we can change it at the subconscious level by doing the positive affirmations. So even if you consciously don't believe it, if you're like, okay, I always have a little bit of extra me time. You can just start saying that and, you know, notice when you, 
when you're like feeling that, where you feel it in your body. If you say, I always have a little extra me time. If you're like, yeah, right. And shrugging your shoulders and going, no, I don't. Or if you say, my husband, he always does little nice things for me. And I, there's always enough money with a little leftover to do a fun thing. You might notice that it takes a little while for your subconscious mind to believe it, but you can, over time, over about, I don't know, three weeks to six weeks, depending on how you say it and where you, you can write it down on a three by five card, put it where you brush your teeth, put it where you, you know, wash your face, put it by the coffee pot, wherever you're going to see it. You can put it on a post-it note on your dashboard and just say it and just really allow yourself to hear it. And your subconscious mind will sink it in. The human mind takes about 36, it's either 36 or 63 times. Hold on. I'm thinking, thinking, thinking. It takes the average person 36 to 40 something times to memorize something. So go ahead and and give yourself at least three to four weeks of just saying these affirmations morning, noon, and night and see what happens. So if you're feeling anxiety, stress, depression, those types of things, it's it's perfectly normal. You don't need to necessarily rely completely on drugs. And if your drugs are not working, changing your medication constantly, um, you can give yourself, I would say, a boost um, by lifting yourself up, by changing it in healthy ways. You know, we talked about exercise. We talked about eating healthy foods. We talked about uh, hugging people that we love or being around them, just even seeing a selfie. It's been scientifically proven that seeing a selfie of your loved one smiling will increase your feel-good chemicals in your mind and allow you to normalize your brain state. When we get together with our loved ones, we really get together with them, like that cuddling or even a 20 second hug, we get the oxytocin that we crave and we don't have to lose those things that make us so cranky. It allows us to just keep us on that happy state, on the happy plane. But the trick here is balance. Like a pendulum swinging back and forth, we have the highs and lows in our life. We have bad days at work. We have stressful moments. We have, you know, traffic incidents that, you know, people ride our butts or we narrowly miss an accident and it really can get us off balance. When we can control our circumstances, when we're in our own little safety bubble, when we're at home, when we're in our room, when we're in our bed, before we get out of bed or just before we're going to bed and we feel that nice, vibration of our own energy that's just slow and easy. You can slow down your mind and sink into the subconscious. This is what tells you that everything is going to be okay no matter what happens. And we can develop the eternity mindset that allows you to go on, that allows you to believe and understand that even when things look dire and scary and unknown, that you can 
take those two minutes and take some deep breaths and center yourself and feel so good with either your affirmations or even the, uh, like we've said before, the no mind. And that's what um, the Hindu belief system is. It's the neti neti or just focusing on the eternal consciousness, the all that is, the great I am, if you're Christian. When you practice this, when you're by yourself and you do it for a long time, when you do it for weeks, months, years, and you take the time to breathe deeply and center yourself and focus on the nothingness, the divine light, if you will, you can take these skills and you can bring them into the middle of the anxiety-ridden situations or the stressful situations that you might be in. Or even when you're feeling low, you can say, you know what, I don't have to feel this way. I can consciously choose to feel another way. And I can do this through my breath. I can consciously choose to not um, feel like I'm going to run out of time, like I'm not going to be late, like I'm not going to be disappointing anyone or even be disappointed myself. Slowing down your thinking has a long-term rate of return. When you train your brain to slow down instead of stressing out about how much you have to do or how little time you have to do all the things that you want to do, you realize profound shifts in reality. And I've taught many of my in-person students about this. There's such a thing as Einstein time. There's a book uh, by Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap. There's It's power-packed full of life advice with upper limits and everything else. But today I'm going to talk about Einstein time. When I was working 120-hour weeks, I really figured out this Einstein time. When I was working so hard, I really made a lot of time work for me. After I ended up in the hospital at age 35, I decided I wasn't going to stay at the office past 5.30 p.m., and I was determined to get outside and take breaks every hour, and it was at least every hour, hour and a half for at least 10 minutes. I listened to music all day, despite the rules saying that I couldn't. I didn't give a flying flip who saw me dancing to the plotter to pick up blueprints. My life shifted. My work productivity got sky high. My time was my time. I created the sense that there was plenty of it. I didn't feel stressed or rushed or hurried. I went back to the feeling that had put me around those big boy tables in the first place, and I loved it. So rather than feeling the pressure that there wasn't enough time to get it all done, I've always adopted the laundry theory around work and things in life, like laundry, it will always be there for you. So there's always going to be that one more thing that has to be done before you decide to take a bathroom break and then you're running to the door 
trying not to pee your pants. So in my mind, at least, even if my physical body took 35 years to catch up to this knowledge, I knew that there's always going to be something in my inbox that needs attention. And it's still the same way today. Like I do my planning on Sunday nights and I'm like, holy wow, I have a lot to do this week. But I know that there's always going to be something. So I focus completely on what needs my attention now. That is my priority. What is the now um, in the next pile of in things? And don't worry about the next load of laundry until the machine dings that's done and clear and ready for the next load. Another way to put it, I don't let my mind wander to the endless tasks that are piling up while I'm working at the task at hand. As I'm recording this podcast, I don't worry about editing my book. I don't worry about what's happening in my Facebook group right now. I focus my attention on doing a good job because if I'm fretting over the other things, I'm not going to successfully complete this task and everything else is going to suffer if I'm working on them and thinking about this. Becoming more present in the present moment. Slowing down and not worrying about getting things done at the speed of happening makes one become more present for themselves and others. Awareness of experiences are happening as they are happening increases. It's subtle at first, but one day you notice the chatter in your mind. I need to get to the post office. Are my parents, are my siblings doing okay? What's my spouse doing right now? It gets less and less as you become more focused on whatever conversation, event, or task you're doing right then. You become more engaged in conversations, more alert, building deeper connections, and find yourself drawing more happiness and pleasure from everyday events. You'll avoid errors and reduce your stress. So we've been talking about stress this whole episode, and we talked about not letting your mind wander just a minute ago and making less mistakes in your technical work when you work more slowly and methodically, but you'll also be less likely to lose your keys, forget where you parked the car. You won't put your phone in the fridge (laughs) when you're getting out of the door for work. And they might seem like small potatoes, but they wreak havoc on your body by constantly increasing your stress levels. So think about your emotions in a day. How often do they fluctuate? Cortisol and adrenaline flood your bloodstream and dopamine and serotonin production levels drop. Your body becomes a mess and does not know what to react to. And interactions with other humans can be a hit and miss when you react to the small situations in a fast thinking, high stress, irrational level on a regular basis. You will feel less connected. So it just gets exacerbated and you just don't know what to do. But slowing down your thinking gives you a stable baseline and you'll be less likely to have those crisis moments in life or embarrassing mistakes to explain to your boss or your colleagues or forgetting anniversaries, which I have done many times. (laughs) Valentine's Day, forget about it. Like I'm the worst at that which is a terrible affirmation for me to make. I should totally change that. I've got this, Valentine's Day. You are mine next year. When we look at impulse control and more control over your life and reducing stress, how many times have you said yes to something without thinking because you just wanted to be a people pleaser 
And then you ended up the day of the event regretting the yes and not wanting to do it. If you had paused for a moment and thought about what the commitment meant, you could have avoided the drain on your resources, your time, and your mental strain and not felt like you had to do more than you could. Or perhaps you said no, and then you're sitting at home wishing you had gone and were having fun and doing something new. Same thing applies taking a moment to pause and consider the pros and cons of a decision instead of just shooting off an answer without thinking about your future self and what you might desire has a huge benefit. So if you met someone there who could help your career or a new partner, a future love of your life, a new experience that will lead to other opportunities and inspiration Slowing down our thinking instead of just automatically responding can have unseen benefits we haven't even thought about. You will train your brain to do this automatically instead of acting like a four-year-old hopped up on Mountain Dew when it's time to go to sleep. The habit of thinking slowly or meditating a couple of minutes a day is hard at first, and it might feel foreign as your body's gotten used to the patterns of just being reactive, especially when the chemicals are involved in your brain. But when you're quieting the mind and forcing yourself to take a deep breath and deliberately pausing on a regular basis, you notice what you're thinking, you're breathing deeply and refocusing to get some perspective. It just takes practice and you'll get better at it. UCLA did a study and found that meditators had better preserved brains than non-meditators. When you slow down your mind, it improves flexibility, mental agility, and preserves mental energy. It allows you to reduce your risk for errors, hyper-focus on the tasks at hand, improve your relationships, increase your enjoyment of life, and sharpen your mind. Mental awareness and training your mind does not have to be do more with less. As my least favorite CEO used to say, it should rather be do less with more meaning. And when you do less with more meaning, you have time for those connections. You have time to make connections with the ones that you love. You're able to feel connected. You're able to be present. You're able to uh, feel the happiness and the joy. You're able to understand what you truly want. You're able to guide your conscious mind, your subconscious mind. You're able to change your, your belief systems if you truly need to. If you're, if you're not able to get on the same page with your spouse or your family or anyone and you're just confused, you can have mental clarity and mental acuity to step forward with confidence in what you want and be able to get on at least your own path moving forward, whatever that looks like for you, for your best and highest good. I am just so hopeful that this is helpful for you. I know it is something that can be small change, just two minutes a day of meditation. It can be breathing It can be positive affirmations, just changing your life by five minutes of good habits. It can feel strange, but I'm telling you, it will adjust your entire beingness, your entire outcome. 
So let me know if you try it. I'd love to hear from you. And if you need help developing your own personal mantra or you find yourself slipping back into some negative thought patterns, it's perfectly normal. It's okay. I'd love to be able to help you out with that. It's um, my pleasure. I do offer free introduction strategy calls. My email address is info at quantumhighways.com, or you can go to my website at quantumhighways.com. I have one month packages available for a very affordable price, and I think you'll be extremely satisfied with what you see there and what you get out of your new life that you're creating for yourself. I'm so excited for you. I'm so, so pleased with the choice that you've made to move forward with Uh, slowing down your thinking, believing in yourself, and know that I believe in you. Until next time, take care.